It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and an actor as we discuss the world of business and how to make it just a little bit of a better place. But today, Jeremy, we're going to take a look at the weight of consumer experience through business reviews. Are are you telling me that someone actually reads those reviews? We're sharing some articles today and some insights and some research on the entire experience, what that means for businesses, they call them managerial implications, and also what matters more in terms of social proof. So if you're a business owner out there, if you're a consultant, or if you're just interested, I think this will be, this one will be chock full of of action items that individuals can do. We'll start out, I want to start out just by sharing a couple things from this particular article. And I'll read for for those listening on the podcast, the main references that we'll be uh, referring to today are towards a unified customer experience and online shopping environment, customer experience, a review and research agenda, and the impact of online reviews of customer care experience on brand or company selection. And these are all peer-reviewed scientific articles which brings me, Tom, to, hey, peer-reviewed research just isn't for IO psychologists. It's for marketers. It is for really everything that, that you come across in life. This one is particularly interesting to me. I was talking with Rich. Rich is here with us today, and he's got a vast amount of experience in both marketing and IO. And I was talking to him, and I think, Rich, I mentioned to you, if I wouldn't have gone into to IO particularly, I think I would have been an FBI profiler or got into marketing because both of them are huge consumers of psychology, which is fascinating. And I think marketing is just the biggest consumer of psychology out there. So that said, when we look overall, I think what's important and one of the things that I gained as a kind of like a final phrase for myself of the research for here, 
I wrote this. Remember, an experience is not an end result. It starts at the very beginning. Each frustration, uh, each color that you look in terms of a font, uh, each click that gradually builds on an experience and determines really when we're talking about a horns or a halo effect for that next micro experience. And then it affects the next up to the final outcome. Because everything, just like our life experiences, if we go out and, and see a stable with horses, that is going to mean a lot, something much different than really anyone else, because we take our experiences. During the customer experience, we look at it from the very starting point, and we look at it from just even if it's a physical location, how, you know, getting there, are the GPS uh, directions set up correctly? And then, of course, when we're looking at online shopping, we're looking at how the first thing that I that I found when looking at the research, the first thing that's important is how easy is it to find the website? And I thought, how hard is it to find a website? And then I realized there have been plenty of times when I'm trying to look at, look at a company or a product that I've heard of, and I can't for the life of me, after five minutes, find the particular website. So these are, are different things. We look at the stages of the customer experience. And also today we'll get into which user reviews do we trust and why do we trust them and which actually carry weight and we'll look at does that matter between between customer demographics tom this is really interesting jeremy and you know as you're talking i'm thinking there are times when as a consumer i'm very aware you know if i'm frustrated you know i want those frustrations to be taken care of so i can walk into your shop and and not get frustrated but also there's so many things that you don't even think about, like the color, you know, of a, of a shop or, you know, the way it's decorated, all those subtle things that go as well. It's like when they started to put fragrance into, you know, shopping centers or music, it's all actually designed to, to have me spend more money. Are we looking at both those sort of aspects of the ones that are right up in front of you and the ones that are more subtle? We are, and I'm trying quickly to find exactly that particular, because that's, that's addressed in this research, but yes, we're talking about, they do look at all of the five senses and there's an interesting way of, of breaking it down when you look at the psychology of it. And I think if you notice when you go into, when you go into physical stores, the men's sections on right or left or the women's sections on the right or left, I can't remember which one, but that has to do with all with psychology. They do tons and tons of studies to determine where do you put the men's versus the women's shopping section based on where do our brains go? when we walk in. It's it's absolutely fascinating. I found what I was looking for. Uh, I'll read verbatim because it's it's interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is a site with a secondary source in here. Holbrook and Hirschman, 1982, described that customers express their experience with the organizations in terms of playful, leisure, sensory pleasures, daydreams, aesthetic enjoyment, and emotional responses. It was further explained that interactions with physical settings lead to individual internal responses. Now we're getting into cognitive, emotional, physiological, and that determines whether or not it engages in approach behavior or avoidance behavior. There's this focus on the basically the sensory, because you mentioned about the smell and that's, and I was thinking, even when I was reading through this, if you can't, if it's online and you can't have your customers smell something, you sure can elicit that kind of a smell or have some nostalgia back to some kind of a smell or, or add that to the experience. So 
Um, I also want to add this customers experiences when they're online shopping and so forth can also be described uh, occurring at a emotional, physical, intellectual, or even spiritual level. So there is really a lot that goes into marketing and into the experience because here we're not only talking about, Hey, is the organization, I have a problem. I didn't like my product. I didn't like the service. My credit card got charged twice. Yes. Those, all those things matter, but think about all that matters up until that point that gets the person to easier accept a solution that you provide. And then go out to either review it and on and on, Tom. Being an actor, I'm really, I really like the, you know, the sympathetic nervous system. And I, you know, you can watch a movie and it can make you laugh or it can make you cry. So can marketing, you know, so can commercials. Are those types of things, like when I think of of all of the, the ways that a commercial will get me to suspend my disbelief and buy in, are there tactics like that that we can incorporate that's going to help us draw more more focus towards our business or help us increase sales? I think part of that, I think when you look at the managerial implications of what you're talking about, you know, those things, I, I think here, here's an action item. I think what's a good idea is for those who are in marketing departments to start a suggestion, recommendation, maybe start to have meetings with those who are not in marketing and who are working with directly with customers who are in the call centers, who are working with solving problems and, and sales, because often there is a really big disconnect between the two. But just think of all that marketers know and all everything that marketers can do to help the people in the call centers, the, 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 the frontline and retail, the salespeople on and on. Think of all they know that they can help to provide insight into A, customer behavior, B, what the customer looks for, B, the customer's decision-making patterns, C through Z or D through D, whichever le number letter I left off, take that to Z, Tom. I will. Uh, but Rich, let's go to you. Thanks for having me. And relating to what you were just talking about there, so CRM and marketing, right, customer relationship management. It's all about data. So on, on the marketing side of things, data informed decisions are, they take center stage in every conversation that you have these days from, um, I'm a member of the American Marketing Association and uh, certified in, in uh, digital marketing through DMI. And that's, it's all about segmentation and where, where we're pulling the data from is just like an IO, we're pulling it from a bunch of different sources and then trying to synthesize what does all that mean so we can push out the communication to the right people. But taking in that, that information, I argue that I do this every time I go into an organization, we talk about their CRM and their usually lack of because... You've got somebody writing notes on a piece of paper over here and somebody using their outlook over there. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the throngs of that right now with a Salesforce instance anyway, but having marketing and well, actually maybe even organizational wide have some access to cases, which are customer related, customer service related records, right. As well as those sales related records and those marketing related records, all of that paints the story of what makes people tick 
where, what buckets they should be put into from a communication standpoint, what are they looking for, what stage they're at, all of that. So yeah, this, what, what you're, what you're talking about just struck a nerve because <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a daily thing for us. Well, it, and it kind of raises a question in my head too, because we, we often talk about the new generation of workers that are coming into the workforce that, you know, the, the younger generations, and they're very different from us. And, and, but then I think of marketing, we don't market to generations the same way. We actually define those generations. So can, can we take sort of this knowledge and help us reflect on that generational move of our new employees where maybe we have to look at them in a different way? <laughs> from, from my perspective, from an HRM standpoint, and here's something that I've I've not seen yet is an HR system that's integrated as much as a, a, a CRM system, right? Where we're we're not we're not pulling the demographics into what the organization's talking about as much as you know. In, in my world, anyway, we're always talking about the customer, customer service, and the the customer service people, how they relate to the customer, you know, and, and all of that's you know from a strategic standpoint, that all makes sense because it's it's the the, the customer experience that, you know, drives the business, but from, yeah, from that, from that HR standpoint, uh, you know, and I'm a, I'm a student at Purdue right now, just my calf still left. And, you know, we, we talk about that a lot uh, in terms of, you know, some of the, those, those HR systems and, and the data that you can collect from there, but it's a, it's a little bit of a black box for me right now on how do, how do we translate that into something that's as actionable as what we are doing on the CRM site? Does that make sense? Yeah, it certainly does. I just sometimes think we should treat our staff as well as we treat our customers. <laughs> Cam, let's go to you. It's interesting that you should mention that, Rich, The because um, what, what I do with my company is take the employee feedback and slice it and dice it by different subgroups within the organization so we can get into that on another day. But um, I've just spent the past week uh, researching AI and how um, that's one of the big directions. I know we're not going to talk about AI till next month, but capturing that customer feedback from social media sites, from customer reviews and things like that, and then coding it and slicing and dicing it by where you got it and was it positive, negative, or neutral? And what are the actionable codes? A lot of the, you mentioned how to get actionable insights. One of the ways that you get that is through the codes that you assign. And so, for instance, in HR management, we have come up with a list of 24 codes that are generally the reasons that people leave a company. Things like benefits, salary compensation, respect and appreciation, communication, things like that. And um, to use, that's one of the next big directions that AI is going, especially for marketing, is to take these I'm ranting on Facebook about this company <laughs> and translate it into code. That's just kind of an interesting thought for. And it's sort of all, all progressing. We're, we're sort of, it sounds like we're sort of in, not in the beginning of this, of this sort of field of practice, but there's lots of information that we still need to look at. Is that right? Yes. And, and like we said, the employees on the front lines, 
your repair technicians and your customer service folks and your people that answer the phone, the people on your very front lines, if you can capture that feedback from them, um, which is good HR practice anyway, right? right? That we want to hear from our employees. But a lot of times they are in tune with what our customers are experiencing. Yeah, I, I, when I was working in the front of the line, I could have told HR a lot. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. One of the things when we consider the customer's experience is how much online shopping is happening now when compared to a few decades ago. And if you look at marketing, what kind of things do you need to compensate to that potential customer when they're doing online shopping? They can't smell, they can't touch, they can't try it on, they can't sit on it. So marketing has its work cut out for them in that sense. However, when marketing started to come into its own was when they realized how much psychology is necessary for good marketing. Because at the end of the day, we are all Pavlov's dogs. That's just the bottom line. Think about a song from your youth that will remind you of that summer you spent somewhere special or um, a flavor or a scent. I remember a local mall many, many years ago, there was one of those cinnamon um, bun stores and they used to pump the smell throughout the mall. That should have been illegal. I'm not sure that it was legal, but talk about playing on your senses. Who could resist that, especially if you've ever had one? So at the end of the day, marketing is so powerful. You can move the masses with the right kind of marketing, whether you're selling them something, whether you're selling them a concept, whatever the idea is. Nowadays, we rely a lot on feedback from customers in the form of reviews. And it's not a surprise that people tend to be a lot more motivated to leave a review to complain rather than to praise. So what does that mean for the company then and the customer experience for the potential customer? There are many people who may look at a product or a service or whatever they're shopping for and make a decision not to go with whatever they were going to purchase based on reviews. It could be one or two bad reviews. So there's so many moving pieces that come into the experience. And I totally agree with what's already been said about the people on the front lines, the people in the trenches, those who are uh, connected with the customer or the potential customer could provide so much information. And unfortunately, sometimes that gets overlooked. So that's something to consider for organizations. Where else could you get that data from? Because the customer is one source, but your own people, your own workforce may be a very important source of information that you're overlooking. And it's much easier to have a conversation with them than some anonymous person online who left a review. <laughs> Linda Ann, let's go to you. I have a couple of points. One, just directly to what, what Dr. Martha was just saying. I used to, and, and taking that frontline information and my basic way of processing that was when someone asks, well, can you do this? Can you do that? Well, you know, do you have any, whatever? Um, it was, okay, well, it took note the first time. And the second time I just did hmm, scratch the head a little bit. But by the third time, that was a pattern. 
and we needed to be doing something about it. And so it didn't, you know, and I could have gone and done all kinds of market research and the result would not have been any different. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's not hard when you're really paying intense attention and are in tune. I just wanted to comment on what Rich was saying also is with some of the HRM, like I did use an HRM system that tracked, you know, it would give me the demographic, the graphics of generational population of the ethnic population and those kinds of things. So some of them are tracking that, you know, and distance, it would calculate the distance from the office and a couple other things to tell you how likely they were to be a high risk of leaving. It was some of the stuff was was pretty interesting that it that it could do. Of course, if you put the correct data in. And I just wanted to uh, make a comment about you know one of the things. While there's a lot of difference now in how we interface with the customers, the customer needs and behaviors haven't changed that much. And so it's not the customers that are really changing. It's how we interact with them and what's available for that interaction process that's different. And one thing that I used to do a newsletter to that went out to like 4,000 businesses once a quarter. And what I had found was we used to change the color of the banner on the top for every quarter. And what I found was certain newsletters had a much higher response. And when I looked at the day, looked at to analyze that, if I had a red banner or a red shade, you know, some, some variation of red, huge difference in the way, in the number of responses that we would get to that particular newsletter. And so if you look at the psychology of the color, of color and the color red, it prompts action, right? So there was never a green or a blue header again. <laughs> so if I'm doing a sales call, I need to wear red. Yep. Let's there yeah. You there you go. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Rich, does that actually work? Let's go back to you. I could talk about the psychology. I used to own a sign company. So we used to have a, a color chart in the back and told you about, you know, what color combinations went together and all that stuff. So that, that's a whole, that's a whole conversation that we can have. But I actually did, I did want to go back to uh, something that was said before about, you know, the reviews, customer reviews and how, you know, they affect how, how uh, uh, people think about companies, you know, story, we hear this all the time in marketing to storytelling, right? So people throughout, our, our history or behind, before history, right? We were telling stories and we still tell stories today. And that's, that is the, the human experience, right? And so these reviews create that story, right? When we think about, everybody look at, like, look for recipes online, right? You, you find a recipe and then you're like, I just want the recipe, but it's got a story wrapped around it, right? So there's there's two things part of that, right? One is search engine optimization because you're adding a bunch of content and all that, but you're wrapping the whole experience around a story. Usually there's a whole bunch of advertising too, so they get they make a little bit of dough on that stuff, but still the whole human connection part of, of, of uh, how we talk to our audience uh, makes a huge difference in how, you know, a company positions itself, a person, you know, our personal brand, right. How, how we do that. So that, you know, there's, I did a, well, not a lecture, but it was like a facilitated discussion with a group of, uh, consultants on the marketing ecosystem. But we talked a lot about that. Like your story needs to be consistent. Your, your, your brand story needs to be consistent 
on every digital channel that you have and every offline channel, right? All the way through. So and when, and when you have a disruption in that from a negative review, you got to put a lot of work into trying to get, uh, get that turned around, you know? Um, so I don't exactly know where I was going with that, but that was another. <laughs> well, so it sparked a question in my head because I, I've often like, I, I try to get the message across to, to corporate leaders and to company leaders that, you know, if when I was a kid and we went to the hardware store, I knew the guy who owned the hardware store. Like we had that sort of relationship. And I think consumers today want to see the CEO doing, you know, on the website, talking about the organization, telling that story. Um, do we need to get more leadership to step forward and start telling those stories? Well, and I, I think you, I think there are there's a trend out there. I'd have to look at the, 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 there's certainly research on that, especially in the marketing side of things. But I think you do see a lot more, you know, videos directly from executives out there. You know, so videos, another storytelling element yep. that shoot, we're doing it right now, yep. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, so that's, uh, that's definitely something that that's been done. And then also having employees, you know, going back to, you know, getting people, uh, you know, onboarded for companies you know for the from the selection process and you know just attracting talent we see employee interviews all the time and those employee spotlights so yeah, yeah it, I, I love video video works great uh, dr jeremy tell me a story uh, brace yourself tom i'm gonna tie wearing a red shirt into eating bananas in the morning but first when we look at internet so i'm looking here at the, this particular article because there, there's going to be a chock full of stuff here Impact of online reviews of customer care experience on brand or company selection, University of Dartmouth. So, and it's published in the Journal of Consumer Marketing. First off, when we look at the, like the base of the source, because we have, I mean, so this was a study, this was back in 2010. So pretty long time ago, when you look at, when you look at how far the internet's progressed, but they looked at like consumerreview.com and ePinion and, you know, the Amazon ratings and whatnot but what was found was that it's not like company websites don't really matter consumer advocacy sites and, and government those kinds of things those were the least likely to actually move the needle in terms of a consumer decision likely because if you're a company you're going to be promoting your own company's product and they can see right through that the other thing is if you're a consumer be careful too because you'll see like if you're going to buy, I don't know, carpet and you go to, hey, carpet review, you'll see a carpet. It'll be like carpetreviews.org, but it'll be the carpet company that reviews other companies, but it's actually theirs. If you look at it, I mean, if you spend enough time on it, you can easily see through it, but it's not right in your face. And some people will take those. So, you know, be careful in that regard. When we look at, so basically review sites, like actual review sites. And now we've got, of course, with YouTube, you can go on YouTube, you can find a product that has a company name that was started yesterday. It's a knockoff product made in the middle of nowhere. And you can go to YouTube and probably find a review for it. There are reviews for absolutely everything. And when we look at the motivations for these reviews, uh, interestingly, so there was a study that was performed, I believe it was like in 2004, four major motives for people to actually post reviews, social inter interactions, economic incentives, I think, concern for others, and to enhance self-worth. What was not considered was the actual credibility of whatever the virtual community was. And when we look at, 
you know, it, years ago, it used to be people are 10 times more likely to leave a negative review than a positive review. Now, when people are getting paid for review and trying to increase their profile and their status, they're leaving reviews on everything. And I would, I, I'm just going to ballpark it that they're more positive reviews. And I'm also going to ballpark it like that because a lot of people are getting paid for these reviews, but it's also hidden underneath a YouTube channel. They're getting a free product. So there's all kinds of things that that go on. The, the one thing, there was part of this study, it's in here somewhere, I just can't find it. The people tended to act based on reviews, but only 40, only, but helpfulness only uh, accounted for 42% of that variance. Meaning if I'm, if I'm me and I'm going to, to a website, it doesn't really matter if I find the review actually useful. What matters for more, what more is whether they say buy the product or not, and maybe how many people say that. So the actual usefulness of the review only account, accounted for a lot less than 50% of what causes people to act. I mean, you want to get really deep into the psych aspects of it. Here you go. One note of caution is .orgs. So there was a study in 2006, source credibility found that .gov.org.edu did predict perceived credibility in a general search. Okay. .gov, got to be a government site. .edu, you have to be an accredited institution to have a .edu. I looked into that. .org, anyone can have a .org. You can, anyone can go and buy a .org right now for 10 bucks. Anyone. And here's how I'm going to tie in the red, the, the red. For my psychology students, I used to do, hey, let's, let's look at what is valid information. And the study that I always use, because it was a really good study, it was called Red Rank and Romance in Women Viewing Men. And when it's all said and done, women perceive men who are wearing a red shirt as more attractive. And then they go into the theory behind it, why, and, and, and yada, yada. It's actually a pretty interesting study to review. So they would review that. And then I would have them review morningbananadiet.org. I'm just going to guess that this is still up. Now, it's a .org, so we should really believe it because it's morningbananadiet.org. And when you look at it, people are, I'm guessing that over the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years, people have taken advice from Alien Dude 83 And it, and it quote in it, I haven't pulled it up. I didn't pull it up. I just remember it. It was, you should avoid eating bananas in the morning because they can uh, cause severe gastrointestinal pains, according to Alien Dude 63. That was it. That's it. And that's on a .org. And I can tell, I guarantee that there are just a lot of people out there like, oh my gosh, this guy said that I shouldn't eat bananas in the morning, so I'm not going to eat bananas in the morning. I'm going to guess Alien Dude 63 wrote that really late one night when he was eating Cheetos, just playing, you know, he got done playing video games and said, hey, I can contribute to this site. Watch this. Interesting what's out there. And it's interesting, so interesting to look at the consumer, at the consumer behavior. And I'll end with this. Uh, Dr. Martha was saying about the, the numbers and how much we use online. Now, this is old. This is from 2008. A total of 81% of online holiday shoppers read online customer reviews. A total of 86% of consumers read online business reviews before making purchasing decisions. 90% said they trust these reviews. Again, 2008. As of October one, as of, as of October 2008, almost half of U.S. online adults read ratings and reviews at least once a month, and 19% post them, and that doubled 
just from 2007. I can only imagine what it is now, but here we have at least some kind of perspective, Tom. Well, well, and and what about influencers? Because I can send my product to an influencer. They can do a reveal. They can go look at this wonderful product. You should buy it. But that kind of gives me a bit of an icky feeling because that influencer is not really actually using my product or service. They're just a face. It is, but it also depends. Again, how how often have have celebrity celebrities been used in in TV commercials? There are plenty. If you if you feel connected like that particular influencer is part of your life because you're whatever, however you're connecting with them or taking in their media, you gain to trust their opinion. And even if you don't, you want so bad to trust their opinion or you want the opinion so bad that now you have confirmation bias and you just want somebody else to say it's okay. You just want somebody else to say it's a good product because then you can buy it. There have been times, and even when you look at, and this is when I go back to like government websites, even on Better Business Bureau, you can search a company on Better Business Bureau and decide whether or not to do business with them. There have been times that I've gone to the Better Business Bureau and there's some complaints, but I just wanted to buy from this company or buy this product. And I was like, they're not that bad complaints. Everyone's complaining about something sometime. How bad could it be? So now I've got my own confirmation bias saying, hey, I want it bad enough. I can justify my own purchasing decision in any way I want. And part of that is just saying, I'm going to ignore this person. I don't know, maybe because they're not the influencer. So I'm just going to ignore them. But Tom, you bring up a fantastic point as always. Well, next week, Dr. Jeremy Lukoba will be replaced by Kim Kardashian. Uh, Manny, let's go to you. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Can you all hear me? When you asked what about the social influences, uh, my answer was just um, they're still story, storytelling and they're using remembrance, which is something that CRM people use. And they're still using video, which is something that's still relating to us in terms of um, authenticity and accountability as well at the same time. These are the tactics these people are using. And I remember we once talked about reviews sometime and I kind of like said that uh, anybody can write reviews. I once wrote a, I once got, you know, mad at some, at some services, you know, they, they really treated me badly because of, you know, of who I am. But then what I did, I went and I opened up 10 Gmail accounts and I ran their reviews from 4.5 to, so that can be done by anybody. So th- with that being said, uh, I would like to say businesses need to know that website reviews, that the reviews on their websites, not really trusted because you, I can easily open up a website and get somebody from um, any of the Asian countries to get me reviews. We these days buy reviews for websites and they can give you like, I think 34, I don't know how much dollars just to put a new website uh, in terms of, you know, to just give you people to come on your website and they find the reviews and stuff. So with that being said, I'm just saying that storytelling is what people use nowadays. And when we talk about the psychological part of it, we are triggering emotions here. When you're storytelling and you're being authentic and you're relating to the crowd, that's the only way I think businesses are going to, you know, make a comeback. And if Kind of like, if I'm not making sense, it's something called a social responsibility somehow. 
I feel like businesses are really going to make a comeback within um, the negative reviews that people are just writing on their on their website through social responsibility. Because these days people are big on social responsibility. I've been around TikTok and there's words like the people caught. And then there's words like, oh, TikTok, do your thing. There's recently a scenario that just happened between um, the TikTok CEO and Facebook, whereby they run his account from 15k people to 1 million followers within one day and as in people just went and wrote reviews on 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 Facebook and Facebook is now ranking on Facebook is ranking like in two stars yet it was like four five stars so it's all about social responsibility and how you're relating with people and how you're telling the story because the, the story that was being that was being unveiled within this whole struggle that was going on between these two social media sources was the fairness and how you know uh, socially these people are these two these two CEOs are. So at the end of the day, regardless of how much is going to be negative uh, reviews within you know the customers and stuff, the only way uh, businesses can really make a comeback is through uh, using storytelling. Yes, they getting back to the basics because also I come from Africa and this thing was used from even long ago. We, when I hear people talking about it and they say we need to do research, me, I'm already using my, um, my, um, my comparison analysis because the leaders only rose to be leaders within our communities in Africa, those who really told their stories. They related to so many people, they got so many followers and people were really relating to them and they just rose to they just rose to be the great leaders they were within our small communities and stuff. So when I hear people talking about um, doing research, I'm like, okay, this is something I can kind of like relate and remember and have seen growing in Africa, although you know it's, it was on a smaller scale. So it's just businesses getting back to social responsibility and learning the art of uh, storytelling because even the workers these days they are following that thing. I literally came across a social media socialite within the whole, she's always on, a, on the employee side. And she was telling the employees, you need to get into those spaces. You need to grow your followers. That's the only way you can, you know, you can be, make a comeback with these whole companies. So in as much as you are in this whole world of not knowing anything that's going on, these people are planning on you. They, they're planning on you in terms of giving back these reviews through stories and they know what they're doing. So if they're already, if they're already two steps ahead in their game, I think businesses also need to find a way of how much they can get back to the ground steps and relate with people and storytell and just have the social accountability. That really confuses people so much when, when it comes to, to where they can put their money. When, 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 when a bad review comes up and you're already having these things in line, it's very hard for, for you to get the backlash of, of the bad reviews within or the malicious reviews within um, clients. Yeah, it, cer it certainly is. And, and you know, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but now when you audition for film and television, one of the questions you will get asked as an actor is, how many followers do you have? Because exactly. you are now a market, you know, you're an arm of marketing for them now. Uh, Cam, let's go to you. That's fascinating, Tom. That That's really interesting. Good thing we can, you can buy followers from Asia. <laughs> but then um, looking at this article that Dr. Jeremy was referencing, it's interesting how 
some of our media consumption is, and the way that our media consumption is changing in society, I see this as related. Everybody can relate to a story. Everybody has sort of an oral learning capacity. Not everybody is learns from books as well. So if you want to reach the widest audience, if you can tell a story, um, and I, I would say that with the increase in listening to books, that we're all becoming more and more oral and less and less, not that we're becoming illiterate, but that we are processing our information more orally. But also you've got the organic element. Now, Tom, you mentioned that you you feel kind of icky taking advice from an influencer. I do too, but our kids don't. And I remember it was a couple of weeks ago, I bought something or made a decision based on a social media influencer. And I thought, oh my goodness, the influencers are really influencers now. Um, and what this study found is that the organic sites, the blogs, social networking, YouTube, rather than the Better Business Bureau or Amazon, those inorganic sites, the organic sites carried much more value for customers. And so that, that was an interesting takeaway. But I think as we move to an oral, more and more oral culture with a shorter and shorter attention span, you know, Geico has 10 seconds in streaming video days, whereas they used to probably have a minute in network TV days. And as we move more and more organically, that that's going to change what impacts our society marketing wise. Yes, I like to call those commercials uh, short attention span theater. Um, and I'm always interested because, you know, if you're watching YouTube, there's five second countdown. And so I'm always watching for the ones who can you keep me watching for more than five seconds? There's not many out there. <laughs> Brendan, let's go to you. So I want to talk about one of my own personal experiences about reviews uh, and then a couple other topics. So I stayed in a hotel last month um, that had 3.6 stars. So I'm like, oh, this this can't be too bad. And then I get there and I'm like, um, you know, said some things that probably wouldn't be the most appropriate to say right now. And then I'm walking through the lobby and it, it come to find out there's a sign there that says, if you leave us a review and you let us like show us the review, we'll, we'll give you a free basket to take up to your room. And I was like, ah, OK. So that's where those reviews were coming from. And I've seen a lot of this um, idea of the whole influencer thing dates back a lot in the supplement industry with people looking at ads and like, oh, this dude's huge or that woman looks great. And like, if I take that, I'm going to look like that. I'm like, they're probably not even using that. They're probably using a lot of illegal drugs and that's how they look that way. Yeah, I can't trust that. And that's been going on for a long time. But I want to bring this back to the idea of the workplace where you have glass door reviews that are kind of doing the same thing where internally companies are saying, if you leave us a good review, blah, 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 we'll do this or that for you. And if you do experience that where you're looking at a job and you're seeing these reviews look too good to be true, I promise you there's a review on there that says somebody who's disgruntled who said, just so you know, all these five-star reviews or good reviews are fake. And it looks like it's something that's coming internal. So I definitely see it where the people who are disgruntled enough will leave a review and say, and just so you know, the, the five-star reviews are BS. And the other thing too is within this, this faith of 
what we're seeing out there right now. I actually knew somebody who owned a marketing company and guaranteed a return on your investment based on the Google AdWords and all the other different things that they were doing. Now, the return was based on analytics of you'll get more clicks. So the the jobs, you know, they they do what they do on the marketing side, guaranteeing all these things, and then they're paying somebody in the Middle East $5 an hour uh, team of people to then go and click on that website as many times so that the clicks will actually go up. There's a lot of things going on right now. I mean, I remember when Elon Musk was talking about buying Twitter and then bought it, it was saying that like about half of the accounts are fake on there. So what does that tell you about where we are as a society right now? So best recommendation, do your own research, figure out what has pros and cons, and then figure out where you should go from there. We are definitely in the wild, wild west of the internet right now, and you better have your six shoulder loaded. Uh, Rich, let's go back to you. Yeah, thanks. Just real quick uh, about about those reviews <clears throat> and the ones that are paid reviews that come in and all that stuff, right? And uh, yes, it's big business in certain places, and uh, and it's really problematic. And if you're a consultant, you're probably going to have an executive say. Should I have our our employees put a you know a a positive review out there on Glassdoor, or should I incentivize my you know my customers to uh, you know post a positive review? And, and this has come up uh, dozens of times that I've uh, you know when I've worked with with different companies, especially smaller companies, who are like, I just need more reviews, right? Uh, so um, Google very explicitly has uh, guidelines here that's about deceptive content. I could share it in the, in the link here, but uh, you know, fake engagement is a, is a huge no-no. And if they find you, and this is Google, right? So like, that's how people are finding your company, right? They can do some pretty nasty things to your, to your web presence that uh, you know, degrades your ability to get, to, to get found. So it's really, really important that, you know, these things happen organically. Can you ask for reviews? Absolutely. Incentivizing positive reviews, though, is is just a huge ethical problem. And, um, but, you know, I mean, it does nobody any, I mean, really, it does, it does harm, you know, to, to the, uh, to the community. But outside of that, um, you know, laws or anything like that, barring any of that, from the standpoint of the infrastructure that we have to work in, you got to play by the rules, you know? So if you're, if you're going outside of the rules there and you're, and you're, you're paying for people to do that, um, you're, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get found and you're going to get slammed, you know? So I've seen it happen. It's not a fun thing. You don't want to be using the, the phrase Google destroyed my life. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, with this whole influencer thing, because, you know, any of us who have had a philosophy class, this is a philosophy, one of the the uh, ethical fallacies are uh, more I'm now I'm now blanked on the word, but, you know, the the appeal to authority. So we're going to take someone who has no reason to know anything about a topic and we're going to put them in front because they're they're popular, they're attractive, they're you know, rich, they're whatever, and they're going to say, this is awesome, you should do this. And people are like, wow, if they're doing this, I should do it. When they really have no reason to know anything about it, and they probably don't. And 
you know, and a lot of times that will tell you a lot about a product just by who they choose to be that uh, influencer, you know, and, and I'm, I'm contrary. I mean, I will not purchase a product based on their, their advertising, because if it annoys me or something, and there's another option, I'm probably going to try the other option. That's just me. But, but it just kind of amuses me sometimes when I see some of these things and there's somebody out there going, you know, and I'm like, this person has no reason to know anything about this. Why? You know, I mean, they're reading a script, obviously, but still, but you know, the whole, the whole Google thing is kind of interesting because like I work with small business here and, and do some teaching with them and everything. And there's a competitor that's a chain and the, the chain pays for Google to bump them up the, the, the rankings. Well, the small business doesn't have that kind of a budget. In classes, we tell people, it's like, you know, we would really appreciate if you can give us a five-star review. If you can't give us a five-star review, before you go and you leave a, a low review, come and talk to us, and we'll, we'll try our best to, to take care of that. We don't incentivize. We don't do any of those other things. But we tell them, we're like, hey, look, we, you know, we're struggling just like all small businesses, and we would like for, you know, for you to help us with that if you, if you can honestly give us that review. And if you can't, Please come and talk to us before you go and slam us on the reviews. Now, does that mean everybody does it? No, of course not. But, uh, but you know, the interesting thing is when I go through and I look at these things and I and I say, oh, it's a you know four point five review or whatever. Well, I go and look at what those reviews actually say because you go and you look at some of these reviews. Maybe they have a high review, and some of them go, wow, that seems like it says the same thing, you know, on a you know twelve different reviews. Hmm, maybe that's a little fishy. But then you look at the couple that are like really low and you get these like, oh, man, that gives me pause just by how terrible that experience was. And so then I, then I dig a little deeper. Um, and for those out there who, who like mindless entertainment and, and, you know, check out Reddit, there's entire Reddits on companies' responses to bad reviews. And, oh, my God, they're hysterical because they the, the, a lot of these companies will go and call out someone on the review who left them a bad review and they're like yeah well let's give the our side of the story to this and, and some of those are fantastic um you know i saw one where somebody was calling out you know how can they possibly have you know it was like a burger thing we never use frozen meat and they were like well how can they possibly do that and they're like because we have a refrigerator you know <laughs> something i mean it's just great stuff like that there's there's always you know and it and it goes back to the old adage you know buyer beware you know, you got to do your due diligence. And and this includes with, back to our original thing, when you're going for an employer, do your due diligence. Look at the glass door. Look at, you know, these other things and read them because you can tell when it's just a disgruntled employee. You know, if you got one that's like slamming everything and everybody else is like, this place is incredible. Well, maybe you should, you know, kind of kind of look, you know, think through that a little bit. But if you got a whole bunch of people going, oh, my God, I wanted to jump off a bridge every day when I went to work. You know, maybe you might want to rethink that application before you click the button. But, you know, there you go. And I will remind everyone that there's people out there like me who are actors who get paid to look and sound authentic. And we <laughs> and it's all fakery. Uh, you know, our five, five, maybe six years ago, I did a print you know, advertisement uh, where they, you know, I was invited to come into an emergency room in a hospital. Uh, there was a nurse, there was a makeup artist and the nurse was going, you know, it's, that's got to be a little more blue. That's got to be a little bit more green. And it, my face ended up on a billboard in town. It looked like I had been in an accident. And my family and friends were calling me going, what happened to you? 
Did it look authentic? It sure did. <laughs> Was it authentic? Not in the least. Um, <laughs> Eva, we're going to go to you next, but just to give everyone a quick uh, heads up, we are getting a little close on time. Eva, let's go to you. Hi, good morning. Can you hear me? I'm not sure if I'm on air, my pause or not. Um, this is a beautiful conversation as always. I would like to add, what do you say for the company who's been running 800 years that continues to run today? I have a, um, a body wash that I use from a company that's out of Italy. And this company started in 1212 and it's 2023 and they're still moving forward. And it just happens to be my favorite body wash. So what are they holding true to that doesn't matter what people are saying around them? Are they aligned in a certain way that is specifically for their brand and they're true to it? Like, what are we doing as companies that we're, what are we really building? Are we building for an alignment that is future forward that we can, we can outlast the pretty much everything? Cause there's no way in my opinion that this company should be running this long. Think of Porsche for God's sake. Porsche, when you think of a Porsche, we're not worrying too much about what's what's being said online with the reviews. We're thinking, oh, Porsche, oh, Porsche, oh, Porsche. I mean, I want a Porsche today because of, oh, Porsche, when I see it pass by. So what do you say to those types of companies who are pushing forward, keeping their alignment based on what they think is true to them that are getting reviews based on the price? When I go to the Porsche dealer, when I look at $100,000 on the tag, I'm not saying, oh, my God, what is my sister thinking of this? I'm saying, oh, my God, can I pay for this in my pocket? So what do we say for those kind of things when we're talking about reputation? Thank you. Uh, those are some great points. Um, <laughs> Jeremy, I think I'm going to, hey, do you want to go next? Yeah, let's go to you. We can let Linda Ann go and then I'll close it out. All right, Linda Ann. I, just, I wanted to just mention when somebody is looking at how to find out about a company Glassdoor can be very, very hard to decipher, um, as has been mentioned. And I would encourage people to go look up somebody on LinkedIn that works for that company that's in a similar job that you want and just contact them cold and find out what it's like in that place. Because, um, yeah, I've known companies who cherry pick the employees and ask them to go do the reviews and things like that. So I would... Just go find them online and see if they'll have a conversation, an honest conversation with you. And that'll be the best way to circumvent some of the propaganda. Tom, I think you're on mute, but I'm going to go ahead and get there. started. You're not on mute. There's just a Zoom I, thing. Uh, well, now I hear you. I was acting. Um. Uh, <laughs> miming, yes. I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> and and now I've got to go check out Porsches. So thanks, Eva. Uh, and Jeremy, I'll let you wrap. Uh, Brendan mentioned uh, staying at a, at a hotel recently. I'll just mention, if you ever stay in a hotel, don't stay on the first floor. You'll have a much cleaner room, better experience. Even if you forget, go back and say, I forgot I don't want a first floor room. So don't stay on the first floor. And Cam mentioned something about Amazon. And there was a little confusion in this particular article So because it's in two places. So Amazon is one of the ones that, that consumers trust. The uh, where it provides the clarification is way down here on page 454, believe it or not. It appears that non-socially based sites as company, such as company websites, search engines, and government consumer advocacy sites have no impact on consumer opinion. 
the reason that the Amazon that's considered actually a, more of a social site because you can go and you can leave uh, the accurate reviews. So I just wanted to cl clarify that this uh, this caught my eye consumers, uh, the socially based websites are considered socially opinion. Socially based websites are considered trustworthy and the opinions shared on these sites are assumed to be unbiased. That's a little interesting. Consumers who value and trust the socially based sites frequently utilize social media and are likely to share their customer experiences online. We're starting to get an idea for why are companies getting using, uh, not relying so much on marketing per se and more on the actual reviews. And there was something also in here and it basically said, people trust social sites more than direct marketing materials. So what that means is that $4 million Super Bowl commercial means less than a, a social media influencer saying your product is good. So that's, you know, we look at the why. Companies, so a lot of times it's, it's should, should companies respond? Right here, managerial implications. Therefore, companies who are actively engaged in monitoring sites related to consumer discussions about customer care will have a chance to recover dissatisfied customers. So they should take corrective actions based on complaints and understand that customer concern. So it's like, if I don't, if I don't notice it, nobody will know and it'll just go away. So it appears from the, the, the study that that's not the case, that it should actually be addressed. Moving on next week, we, uh, we continue. So just a quick note to everyone. Our discussions on the podcast, you can join us anytime you go to cbock.com slash events and see something that says public open mic. That is one of our recording events. We would love to have you along next week. The topic is employer brand attractiveness on candidate intention to apply. Dr. Ariana Thompson will be leading that particular discussion along with our beloved Tom Bradshaw. And another quick thing, if you haven't signed up for a three-day experience coming up in August, please do. And next week on the 11th, on Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard, we are having a peek, a sneak peek for IO grad students. So if you're in grad school, you can learn about our upcoming free, it's free, three-day experience, and so is this uh, experience. Dr. Destiny and I will be hanging out. You can ask questions. We'll go over some of the agenda items and we'll have a good time there. Tom? Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. And thank you everybody for their contribution today. And with that, Jeremy, count us out. Thank you, everyone. Beautiful to see you as always. Counting out at five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.